You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Well, welcome. Good to see a lot of you here. Good to see you guys online. I see you. I really do. No, I don't. But we're glad you're here anyway, because one of the things we want to remind you again uh, is for those of you, especially on, uh, joining us online, or even if you're listening like three days later, we're going to do communion together a little bit later in the service, and we invite you to get some elements now. Uh, if you've got unleavened bread and wine, of course, that would be the best, but come as close as you can, and we'll celebrate that uh, at the end of our sermon here together. We're moving back into the This We Believe series, and this is me. This is me. How many of you were like six-year-old kids looking at the stars and saying, wow? Like four of you? What is wrong with you? <laughs> I, I mean, this is me. i just utterly fascinated with the things of creation. And because I was raised in a Christian home and an early adopter, if I can use it that way, I, I was wondering, what is God like? Majestic creator I got, but, you know, I just... And I was at church, frankly, I wasn't getting a lot about God. I was getting a lot of doctrinal stories and teachings and such. And I was, what is God like? Well, this is our doctrinal statement at Grace. You heard Jay's first sermon two, what, three weeks ago? Two weeks ago? On Scripture. Well, this is paragraphs two and three of our doctrinal statement. And it's, this is, there is one living, true, unchanging, holy God, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father is the eternal creator of heavens and earth, who is ruler and judge, working good in all things according to his own purpose and pleasure. He is graciously involved with humankind. He hears and answers prayer and saves from sin and spiritual death all that come to him through Jesus Christ. I just want to say right here, just for some family business, Jerry and Janelle Smith, I mean, we know them. Jerry's our pastor's pastoral care pastor. Janelle's mom, Nyla Jackson, passed into eternity just I did, yesterday, I think it was. Jerry's here with us this morning. I haven't seen Janelle. It's been really hard on them to watch her die. Amazing woman over a long period of time. She didn't go to church here, but she's a part of her family. And when I read this passage from our doctrinal statement, it's true. Graciously involved with this woman and her family, hears and answers prayer, saves from sin, and spiritual death, and now she has been through physical death, is at home with her Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Service will be on November 4th over at First Baptist. We'll give you more details in time. But this is what makes this real. It's not an abstract thing. It's a living reality. So let's just unpack this a bit. And there are sermon notes on the resource table. For those of you who are watching online, you can go and look at sermon notes down at the bottom of the web page uh, or on the app, and, and you can get these as well. Because, you know, I'm going to pack a lot in. <laughs> See, the question is this for me. Who is God? What is he like is a similar question, but I'm more interested in the person of God. And who is God? Because when I get to know a person... When I say, who are they, all the what are they like, but it's more than that, it's how to relate and all those things. 
And there's a place in the Bible, and if you've been around, you've heard me talk about it before, and that is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. The Bible quotes itself all the time, and one passage is more quoted than any other passage in Scripture. And it's a time when God has been talking to Moses about making the tabernacle. Moses and God have been on Mount Sinai, and they've been giving all the instructions for the tabernacle where God can be with his people in the Holy of Holies, and they can be around him and approach him. And as they're discussing that, meanwhile, back down on the plain, the people of Israel, where's this Moses guy? Oh, he's, 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 I don't know, he's gone. It's been 40 days, he's probably dead. Uh, Aaron, Aaron, you're next in charge. We need, we need something. Like, make us a god. And Aaron, the high priest, brother of Moses, while God and Moses are talking up on the mountain, makes a golden calf. This is Exodus 32. Ultimate betrayal. Because a little bull, that reminds people of Baal, the god of Canaan. It probably represents some of the gods of Egypt that are in war with Yahweh. And they make a little bull. And Aaron says, behold your God. And they do a festival to Yahweh around this little golden bull. God is ticked. Exodus 32. It's like a husband and wife on a brand new marriage. And like the second day of the marriage, the husband, I'm just using names because I did Josh and Maureen's marriage just a little bit ago. And Josh says to Maureen, hey honey, I'm gonna, I've got, I want to get you something special. I've got something in mind. I'll be back in a little while. Oh, thank you, Josh. Thank you. I love you so much. Bye, babe. He goes out and about two hours comes back with a little poster. And he takes his poster and he unwinds it. And it's a girl from the strip club dancing on a pole. And he says, Maureen, this reminds me of you. What do you think? Well, that's only a small piece of what God feels. He is angry, rightfully so. He and Moses talk, Exodus 32, and in Exodus 34, Moses says, show me your glory, and he says, I can't, it would kill you. But what he does, he says, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, put my hand over you, and I'll pass by, and then you can see the trail of my passing. In Acts 34, this is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. And I'll unpack it for you here. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet does not leave the guilty unpunished. I want to look at that passage. The first thing he says, he says his name twice, that covenant name, Yahweh. And when I think about that, it's saying, I have a name. And what that means is, I want to relate. Now the question, with whom does Yahweh want to relate? Well, Moses, for sure. Aaron, eh, maybe. He wants to relate to golden calf worshipers. Because you read this verse in context in Exodus chapter 34, that's his goal, is to restore the betrayed relationship. My name is Yahweh. 
I want to relate, even with golden calf worshipers. And it tells us that he is compassionate. And we unpack this word a little bit. The base idea of compassion means I care. Now I'm going to ask you, whom does God care for? Golden calf worshipers. Now, faithful people like Moses and like most of you here, absolutely. See, that makes sense. Because you're faithful to him. What about those who betray him so terribly? He wants to relate. I care about golden calf worshipers. And one step further, this word is rahum in Hebrew, and that raham, the noun behind it, is the noun that describes a mother's womb. And he uses this womb word to describe his feeling, and you see it here, the rahum, how to love tenderly, be very fond of, to caress as a mother does her children. That's the picture of God, the eternal creator of the universe. See, he's a person, not a so he's compassionate. He doesn't stop. <laughs> he is gracious. Now again, one word definition of grace, a very complex concept, is I help. Again, whom does he help? Does he help Moses? Well, yeah, that's why Moses is there. Whom does he help? Whom does he help? Golden calf horse. Betrayers of relationship. This is the God who cares. Not just nice people, but all people. So put in gracious. It doesn't stop. <laughs> He's slow to anger. Can you make him mad? Can you? Yeah, yeah how? Well, build a little golden bull and call it God. He's going to be ticked. Oppress the weak. He's going to be ticked. There's, you can make him mad, but you have to work at it. Now, the word behind this is a crazy phrase in Hebrew. It's long nostrils. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, this is an idiom, because when you get mad, your nostrils flare. Well, his nostrils are long, so it takes a long time for them to flare. It's an interesting picture of our God. It's, it's interesting. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's what it's there. So he's slow to anger. You can make him mad but he didn't make up irritable. His baseline is grace, compassion. You can make him mad, for sure. He's, well, NIV translated love. The word is chesed. Can you say that with me? Chesed. Okay, now that's not hallelujah. That's the front H. This is the guttural H. Say it with me again. Chesed. Come on, you got to say it too. You, just because you're out there, you don't get to get away with it. Okay, come on. One more time. Chesed. And that's one of those rich, rich words. It means basically lasting loyalty, covenant faithfulness, <clears throat> and it's a way of saying love. So you write in love there. And not only love, but faithfulness. And these are two words that modify each other, this word emet. And in John 1.14, it translates this as truth, grace and truth in John 1.14 about Jesus. And that's trustworthiness, or constancy and truth. I mean, they're very similar, mutually defining words. So you write in here, faithfulness. He is known for his love and faithfulness. For whom? For whom? Golden calf worshipers, as well as faithful people. Forgiving. 
Do you have trouble forgiving? Do you have trouble, where are you? There you are. Do you have trouble forgiving? You guys are moving around a little too much. The answer is, yeah. Whom does God forgive? Who does he forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin? Well, who? Golden calf worshipers. See, that's the character of our God. That's the character of our God. So he's, he's forgiving. But it doesn't stop there. And if this were just these six, I would say, ah. But see, it doesn't stop there. He does not leave the guilty unpunished, it says. And what we're talking about here is he is just. And the ones, now, the difference between forgiving and being punished is up to us. Because what he does, he holds accountable. To use that phrase, has become so popular in our culture today. He holds accountable those who refuse his forgiveness and persist as golden calf worshippers. And those are the ones that he punishes. But, as we'll see, it's only at the end of the day. Because he's slow to anger. His punishment is, in my judgment, way too slow. Because there's some people that need a rock in their head, and God doesn't do it to them. And I think he should. So he don't worship me or God? <laughs> Not me, I hope. See, that's the character of our God. For the most quoted verse in the Bible, by the Bible. And just to reference, if you want to read a whole book on this passage, John Mark Comer wrote, God has a name. And it's a long, very well done meditation on this uh, thing. By the way, just by the aside, John Mark Comer, one of my very close friends, his new book, Live No Lies, which is about battling the world, the flesh, and the devil, just made the New York Times bestseller list. A preacher makes New York Times bestseller? Who? Hey! And a guy right above him is a preacher from Oklahoma. So, I mean, preachers are taking over the world right now. <laughs> he is graciously involved. He is graciously involved with his image-bearing creatures. Even when they're golden calf worshippers. I'm just thinking through some stories that I've had the chance to be involved in as an old man and a pastor. And I think of people who are just horrible places of sin. God's graciously involved. And then the power. I think of Nyla Jackson. Here's a woman who's been through a difficult life. God involved with her consistently. Powerful, as we sang. And he answers prayer. Now, in my own story, as a 14-year-old, I kicked out of Christianity hard. What I didn't know was I was kicking out of fundamentalism. But I went some basic questions, because I was a science-oriented guy, and I found a verse in the Bible that said, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. So I went to the leaders there at my church in Albuquerque, and I said, uh, Guys, how do you know the Bible's Word of God? And by the way, how do you know that there is a God? And what they said to me, in effect, was, nice Christian boys don't ask questions like that. Well, I said, one of those is true, so the other one's not. And click, I pushed eject on Christianity. 
And over the next four and a half years, super intense, high in, uh, intellectual, high uh, analytic intelligence, I was spiraling down into despair because I could find nothing worth living for beyond myself. And that's not an adequate God. And God interrupted my life again. Long story I don't have time to tell here. But one thing came out of that is uh, my cousin was a pastor and he gave a little book and in that book he gave an analogy of prayer. It's like Hercules cleaning out the Aegean stables, if you remember that task of Hercules. And it's an infinite stable, there's no way to get all the horse crud. But what he does is he turns the river sticks into it and the river washes the stables clean. And he made the knowledge that's the way prayer is. And I began to pray to God, laying on my bed there in our little trailer in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I discovered God hears and answers prayers in incredibly unexpected ways. And that's still true to this day. Because my response to God is he is the God who speaks and continues speaking. First of all, here, as Jay helped us see last time, through scripture, for sure but also through that voice that comes. God speaks to us. He's a living, holy person. I want to look at that word holy for a minute, because that's a big word. This is a story in Isaiah 6, which is kind of the definitive passage on, on holiness. And what he says, this year the king of Zion died, I saw the Lord high exalted, seated on a thorn, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, six wings, with two wings that cover the faces, two that cover the feet, and two they were flying, and they were calling out to another, holy, holy, holy. Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts, the threshold shook, the temple is filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, Isaiah. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live on people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And we think of holiness here, well, awesome is not the way it's used as a throwaway now. You know, you smile at somebody, awesome! No, it's not awesome. That's not even nice. But see, awesome means something that strikes you with just unbelievable power. God is really the only one that's awesome in this sense. But more than that, worthy of our complete devotion. And the base idea of holy, the term holy, is to be dedicated to. It's often said as to be separated from. That's actually a result. Because God himself is holy, and he is dedicated to. So I look at this passage, 1 Peter 1, it's quoted, three time, it's quoted from three times in Leviticus. It says, be holy because I am holy. And if that means be awesome, like I'm awesome, well, that's not going to work. If it means absolutely pure, like I'm absolutely pure, that's not going to work. See, what it means is dedicated to. What he's saying here, be dedicated to me because I am dedicated to you. That's that concept of holiness that we translate with the term sanctified. But holy is the same word, and that's what he's saying when he says God is holy. But who is this God? The seraphim flew to me in live coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the tongue's altar. With he touched my mouth and said, See, 
this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. See, that's the character of our God. And what this says, and then he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And see that us right there? It's one of those Old Testament hints about Trinity. That's why there's an us there. It only occurs four times in the Old Testament. This is the fourth one. And it's that picture of Trinity. So the person, the Trinity, are dedicated to each other. So when you say God is holy, he doesn't have to be separated from sin. What it means is he's dedicated to himself because God is not a want, he's a thrife. Can I use that? <laughs> Daniel 6. This is Daniel in the lion's den. <laughs> The guys see Daniel doing so well, they do political things there just like we see going on in our politics today. And what they do is they figure, we've got to get this guy killed. And we can't get him in trouble with anything unless he does something to do about the laws of his God. So to King Darius, verse 7, we've all agreed the king should make an edict that anyone who prays to any god or human being except you shall be thrown in the lion's den. Now, Daniel, what does that mean he's got to do? He's got to pray to whom? To King Darius. What do you think is going to happen here? Well, you know what happened. He opened his window and prayed to God three times a day just to get himself from thrown in the lion's den. There are spiritual and human beings who want to steal our worship. They're angelic beings. Satan is the top dog of that crowd, but they're humans who want us to worship them. They're not worthy of our devotion. They're not, but they're out to steal us, and they'll pay us for it, frankly. That's the picture. But you go on with this. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Here am I. Send me, he says. What I see here is God's covenant dedication to his people motivates him to come to the place of sin to bring redemption. That's why he calls Isaiah, go to the people of Israel and say, come, let us reason together. So your sin is scarlet to be as white as snow, they're red like crimson, they be as wool. If you're willing and able, you'll eat the best of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. And Isaiah takes that message to the people because God in his holiness is dedicated to bring his people back to repentance. But Isaiah says, how long, O Lord? How long shall I say, come let us reason together? He answered, to summarize, until the day of judgment. Because there is a day of judgment coming. And we think, oh, it won't come. God's a nice guy. He, his business to forgive. I'll be fine. No, it's not. He will punish persistent, rebellious people. People who persistently reject his redemption will be removed from his presence and judgment. Good idea or bad idea? How many want to live next door to a pedophile? Just asking. How many want to live next door to a big-time drug pimp or a pimp? And no. Rebellious people, sinful people, I want them removed or I want them redeemed. That's God's heart, too. Matthew 28, 19. Yeah, I'm going really fast. Yeah, here we go. Last command of Jesus, go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, name, singular or plural, 
singular or plural, you guys online? Singular or plural? Singular, yeah, that's one. Okay, in the name of, and you know where I'm going, the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, three. Now, here's the question. Is God one or is God three? Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yes, yes, See, that's the thing. It's yes, yes. And we call that Trinity. Now, I could do a whole long teaching on that. I'm not going to do it, except to say our one God lives eternally in three persons. That's our doctrinal statement. Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, living in rich, loving relatedness. God is never alone. For all of eternity, he is triune. Always. And that great old poem, I was alone, so I make a man. Well, that's a good reason to make a man, maybe, but God's not alone. Rich, eternal relatedness. When you say God is love, it's, it's a reality. Because the three persons are committed, dedicated to each other. That's the idea of Trinity. This is the way the theologians say it. Do you like this? One substance subsisting in three persons. Ack, choke me, no way. How about one what living as three who's? Doesn't fit in my theology book, but I like that a lot better, frankly, because it kind of gets a picture of things. This is one of the Psalms. One of many places, our Lord reigns forever. He's established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness, judges the people with equity. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in time of trouble. And what we're saying here, and again, this is from our doctrinal statement, the eternal creator who rules and judges everything according to his purpose. Now, there's one issue that I want to take just a little bit of time with here, and that is how God relates to evil. How does God relate to the acts of Satan, let's say? If he is the ruler, the question is, how does he relate to evil? And Romans 8.28 is an oft-quoted passage that says, In all things God works for the good of those who love him, the been called to his purpose. And there are different ways to interpret this. It shows up in the translations. But one of the ways is the Calvinist way. And this is where good and godly people differ on this. And their idea is that God ordains the acts even of Satan for his greater glory and our ultimate good. Look at the cross as an example. A second view, Calminian, this is where I would fit, God is at war with evil, using good to overcome it as his primary weapon. Sometimes he ordains, sometimes he allows, but basically he's at war with evil. Well, why did God allow that? He didn't allow it. He's at war with it. But he's using that very efficient term called good or redemption rather than dropping a rock on their head because he's the God of compassion and grace. A third answer is the Arminian answer, and that is God allows even evil acts because for the sake of rich, loving relationship, there has to be ability to say no for the yes of the people to make sense and to make meaningful. So he allows a no, but that no is not just a no to God, it's a yes to the serpent, and thus the evil that comes out of it. Three different ways 
Good and godly people adopt each one of them. The preaching team would sit around the table. We have all three of these views represented. I'm right. They're wrong, just to be clear. <laughs> I'm more godly than... Never mind. But see, in the midst of that diversity and difference, we put gods together in different ways. Everyone, 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 everyone believes. Evil is a result of morally significant free actions of God's creatures. God did not create evil. And what we believe is that God is loving enough and powerful enough to bring good out of the worst evil. And we've seen that. Now we're going to differ whether he ordains it, at war with it, or allows it. But this we all agree on. Worship team, why don't you come up here? We're going to do communion here in just a minute. There's some other conceptions of God. One of them is naturalism. What we call atheism is an example of that. And that's everything is controlled by randomly op- random application of present operating natural law. And that's scientism or secularism, which is saying really there's no God. Everything happens by laws of nature. Another one is uh, pantheism. God is in everything. And the example of that is Star Wars. Luke, may the force be with you, you know. And the force is this energy that pervades the universe, and all you have to do is figure out how to use it magically, and you, can, you too can defeat Darth Vader. Polytheism. There are lots of gods. The Greek religions are an example of that. And the different gods have different powers, and you have to learn magic in order how to control them. Theism. Islam is an example of theism. God is a rich, is a solitary unity, completely sovereign, directing everything that happens, and you have to follow his rules, and you can get to paradise. Now, in Islam, you, nobody ever dwells with God. You, nobody makes it up there, but you can be in paradise, or you can be in hell. What we're believing and what we're going to celebrate together is Christianity. And in Christianity, God lives in eternal, loving relationship. And because of that, he calls us, because he initiates loving relationship, partnership, really, for his image-bearing creatures. That's us. Even if you're a golden calf worshiper, he is initiating relationship and calling you to that kind of relationship. Because he wants to call us into life with him him. He's calling us into life with him now and forever. And what I want to invite you, all of you, including you online or listening by audio, I want to celebrate the God who is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, loving, faithful, forgiving, and just, who initiates relationship by calling us to share in the table. Servers, if you'll come forward too. Uh, we want to take some time here and think about this as we talk about communion. Because what communion is, is this table, remembering what Jesus did in his last days here on earth, just before he went to the cross. He took the disciples and he brought them together. And he said, this is my body. This is my blood. We'd like you to come forward and receive the elements. Take them back to your chair. We'll sing a bit. And then after we're all done, I'll come back up here and we'll take these together. So come and receive. If you want to have a meal with Jesus, even if you're not sure how you relate to him, if you want to have a meal with Jesus, 
Now's the time. Come and receive the body and blood of Christ. This is Memorial Meal, where the presence of God is uniquely present in this meal we do together called Eucharist or Communion or Lord's Supper. And with simple elements, just simple bread, simple juice, he said at that Last Supper, this is my body. Take, eat, in remembrance of me. Later in that same meal, the third cup, the cup of redemption, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Symbolizing the Holy Spirit that would be poured out as well as the blood of the, that he would shed on the cross for our forgiveness. The new life that comes through that living blood that's in us that we take together here. This is the blood of the new covenant. Drink together in remembrance of him. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we do this meal together that we would be devoted to you because you are devoted to us. Bring redemption to us, ongoing healing from our trauma, our brokenness, empowerment to do the work of your mission of Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. I just got a text from my daughter over in Boise. She's not a legal daughter, but she's a beloved daughter. Just reminded me the kind of love I show for her as a somebody who came in our family after her mom and dad died, her dad in a very tragic death late, later in her life, and just blew her out. And I got to be a redemptive piece in her life. I still am. I'll be over there tomorrow, and I'll give Bethany a hug, and my five grandkids too, and Jesse, her credible husband. Some of you support them; they're crew missionaries over there. And that picture just reminded me again of the mission that God gives us. And that is to take the compassion and the grace, the slow to anger, the loving, the faithful, the just news of a God of compassion that loves even golden calf worshipers. Now, in Bethany's case, she was always faithful to Jesus. But after her dad died in the middle of the night, literally in the middle of the night, dropped dead, it just put her over the edge, and she was in a horrible place. And following the mission of Jesus who showed to us, I got to go to her. I met, really met Jesse at that point. They were not even really dating yet. But as Jesse was faithful to her and continued to be his husband, and she, she like commanded me to become dad in her life, <laughs> a role that Sherry and I have taken, just reminds me again of the power of the one we call Father. As he takes people that I don't deserve anything and says I want a relation with you I want it so much that I'll die for you and more so I'll come and live with you and call you into relationship just like little 18 year old well not little 18 year old Gary laid on a bed in a trailer in Albuquerque New Mexico and dared pray to God and found out he reached back that's what I call you all to do one of the things we're doing in our small groups is spiritual practices, and one of those is meditation, and one of those is listening prayer. 
And as you do this in your small groups who are not a part of one, sign up. Let's learn the practices of how to be responding to this God who comes us. But be warned, be warned. He's going to ask you to go in his name into really difficult places sometimes and take the compassion and grace of God there. But I tell you, it's the best assignment ever. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you for being that kind of a God that we can share together in your mission, though sometimes it's difficult beyond words. The joy that comes in the morning is inexpressible. Empower us for your work, Holy Spirit, so we can experience that joy with you. And we do this in Jesus' name as we go and change the world. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.